were uh, resisted the Nazis by hiding Jews in their home for World War II. They were discovered and they were sent to a concentration camp. Corey barely survived until the end of the war and uh, lost her family uh, members during the captivity. Her faith in God did survive. And after the war, she spent much of her time traveling. And of course, you know, she's wrote some books as well. And, and a movie was made about it, about her life. But she spent great time of her post-war years traveling and sharing her faith in Christ. In 1947, her church in Munich, she had finished speaking. And a balding man in a gray overcoat was walking up to her after she had spoken uh, to talk to her. This is... Uh, she, as soon as he started walking toward her, it was like her blood inside her all turned to ice. Her heart sank. She could not believe that she was looking at one of her former guards from the camp at Ravensbrook. He did not know her, but she knew him. She had suffered immensely at this camp. Her sister had died at this camp. And this was one of the cruelest guards while at that camp. And now he's walking toward her. She had spoken of God's forgiveness. But here was a man whom she despised with every fiber of her being. He said this, I was a guard at Ravensbrook. He said, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I have come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's been hard for me to even think He could forgive me, much less me forgive myself. I'd like to hear, he said, from your lips that God has forgiven me. Carrie wrote her response in her book, and I quote, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. Mechanically, I thrust out my hand, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm into our joining hands. A healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being. With tears in my eyes, I cried, I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. There is no healing like the healing of forgiveness. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to find that that prisoner was you. I want to read a passage today and I want to talk for a few minutes on being found faithful in forgiveness. Verse number 21 of Matthew chapter 18, the Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king who would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then the Lord, after that, he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was very wroth and delivered him into the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespass. Father, I pray you'd help us today. Help us, Father, to apply, to search our own hearts and see if there be anything that needs to be reconciled with you and then with another as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Peter had been listening to Jesus as he preaches and as he teaches here, and he had been impressed. In fact, as he was listening to Jesus talk about reconciliation and restoration, uh, he thought to himself, if, if I was the injured party, if somebody does me wrong, I'll have to have a forgiving spirit. And, and this is good, by the way. It's a good thing for somebody to listen to preaching and apply it to themselves, isn't it? It's a good thing for us to, uh, whenever the Word of God is being presented, to try to uh, apply it to ourselves. It's always my desire when I'm in a church service. Uh, don't make the mistake of ever sitting in here and thinking, boy, I really wish so-and-so were here to hear that message. So-and-so isn't, you are. Amen? And so let's see what God would have for each and every one of us. Like the lady that came to the pastor after the church service and she said, Pastor, that was a wonderful message. She said, I could think of at least 10 people that would apply to. Uh, we, do, we make that mistake sometimes, but let's uh, look at where it hits us. And that's what Peter was doing. He was thinking about how he could apply this message to himself. So the gears started turning in his head. And he was thinking about forgiving others. And as he was, he, he thought... The, 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 the question came to him anyway, how often should I be called on to forgive? Now, this is a good question. Before we jump down Peter's throat, let me just tell you that I really believe this, that you absolutely have a number attached to your forgiveness allotment. I think we all do. We have a, so many times somebody can wrong us before we say, enough, I've had it. No more forgiveness. And so... Peter, by the way, in Peter's day, the rabbis had this under control. They had an answer for this. They decided that three, time, three times was enough to forgive. They said, you forgive somebody three times for the same offense, and you no longer have to forgive them after that. And so, by the way, you have to draw the line somewhere, right? That's what they said. Uh, you gotta, there's got to be a time when the offender gets shunned, it gets banned. So this is why Peter, with great generosity, with great nobility, Makes a suggestion. He comes to Jesus and he says, I'm going in his mind. I really believe that this is how he's thinking. This is going to impress the Lord. If I come to him with this suggestion, I am going to do much more than society dictates. I am going to be the bigger man. I'm going to take what society says, what the priests say, double it, add one. And I am going to be willing to forgive seven times this this is a big deal in that day and age because there was a principle that this was much greater than. There's a problem, though. He was reducing love to logic. He reduced money to mathematics. He made a matter of spirituality a matter of arithmetic. He applied human restrictions to a divine activity. Forgiveness. He did this in the same way that we often 
offer our human endeavors to God. See, how about this, God? Are you proud of me? What I've done? But Jesus was not impressed. He did not just demand forgiveness beyond the norm. He demanded forgiveness beyond nature, beyond what we even sometimes are capable of doing on our own. And may I remind you, this is how God forgives us. Imagine if God told you today, hey, I'll forgive you seven times. For whatever situation, think about your pet sin, the, the problem that you have over and over in your life. Paul calls it the sin that so easily besets us. We, we all have one. And you say, How do you, what, what's my pet sin? It's the one you're thinking about right now. The problem you have, whether it be discouragement, lying, whether it be impure thoughts, whether, whatever it is, you know what your pet sin is. That's between you and God. Uh, I don't even like calling it a pet sin. It sounds too cute. The sin that so easily besets us. But imagine God came to you and said, I'll forgive you seven times. After that, you're on. Wouldn't we be a mess if God said that to us? By human standards, this is uh, what, what Peter said here was enormous. Forgiving a man seven times. His heart was pure, but his attitude was wrong. Peter wanted to put a legal limit on forgiveness. He wanted to put a number there. He wanted a place that he could say, all right, enough is enough. I can't take it anymore. I no longer have to forgive you. But Jesus said in verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That thump you hear is Peter's jaw hitting the floor. <laughs> Jesus said, Peter, you got it all wrong. You don't count the number of times you forgive someone. Forgiveness is unlimited. By the way, uh, by the time you did get up to 490 times, one of two things would have happened. Well, probably both of these things would have happened. Uh, by a long time ago, forgiving would have been so natural to you that by the time you get to 490, you'd have stopped counting because it would just become second nature to you. So don't, don't try to count to 490, uh, because uh, you, you'll, you'll either develop a habit a long time before that for forgiving. Our human nature causes within us a hesitancy to forgive those who've wronged us, especially those who wrong us over and over and over again. It's easy maybe the first time to forgive them, but then they do it again and you forgive them again and then you, they do it again and you forgive them again. Unlimited forgiveness. Unlimited forgiveness is very difficult for us to understand. And so Jesus did what I love in the New Testament. He gives us a story to illustrate. He gives us a story to make an example to us how we could understand why we need to keep forgiving. He answers Peter's proposal with a parable. The scene to his story opens to a man who owes an immense debt. The Bible says he owed 10,000 talents. Now, it's hard for us to translate Bible money into today's money because they had a different currency and they had fluctuating values. As you know, from century to century, things are worth different. But a talent was the heaviest unit of measure that was used by the Hebrews and 10,000 was the largest round number they use. And so what they're essentially saying here is that he owed a debt beyond calculation. Basically, the calculate the numbers on the calculator ran out. You couldn't, he couldn't put it on there anymore. He owed a tremendous debt. And there came a day of accounting. He was brought before the king. Now he had a, he had a big problem. He was flat broke. He didn't have any way to repay his debt. 
And so the king did what you did in those days. He had to liquidate all the man's assets. And so he had to, uh, all, all that he had would be sold to cover his, uh, toward the debt. Uh, then he was also sold as an indentured servant, a slave of sorts. His wife and children would be sold as well. And here's the problem though. Even all, after all that, there is no way that everything would be, would satisfy the debt. He still would owe more than they could ever pay. So consequently, this new state of affairs was probably a lifetime sentence. He might never see his family again. His children would never be free. They would always be indentured servants or slaves. His wife could face untold misery depending on who would obtain her. He was in a dire predicament. The man's condition illustrates our state before God. We are all 10,000 talent debtors. God has heaped upon us innumerable gifts, life, abilities, opportunities, and yet we so often abuse the favors that He gives to us. The man did the only thing that he could do. He dropped to his knees and he put himself at the mercy of the king. It's interesting to note that the debtor did not have any grasp of grace. He only understood law. Look at what he says here. He did not ask for grace. He just asked for more time. He did not say, have mercy on me. He said, just give me more time and I will pay thee all. He asked for patience and he received pardon. Praise God. Again, I say he asked for patience and he received pardon. More on that a little bit later. His Lord was moved with compassion and he forgave the whole debt. Now look at the man's response. You can imagine the burden that was lifted off of his shoulders. The debt was gone. The family is restored. His possessions are still his. He could live his life now without this looming dark cloud hanging over him that he would have to answer one day. The problem was that his debt is annulled, but his nature is unchanged. He's still the, a cruel man as he has always been. He was forgiven, but he was not forgiving, as so many even are today. And we'll see this in a moment. He should have at this point been filled with gratefulness so much to the point that it would be overflowing to everyone he met. But he was not filled with gratefulness. He did not properly receive his forgiveness. Forgiveness, when it is properly received, results in a change of behavior. My guess is that in the pride of his soul, he felt he deserved this favor. It's about time the sun shone on me. How many times do we get the idea that we deserve forgiveness? Instead of showing any gratefulness, he displays some despicable behavior. You see, he was adult broke, now he's teenager broke. Do you know the difference between that? I think often back to when I was younger and sometimes I miss being broke. Uh, being broke as a teenager or as a child or as even a college student in my situation meant that you had nothing. You were basically at zero, net zero. Being broke as an adult is an entirely different meaning to that. You, that means you have zero cash in your wallet, but you have a mortgage, you have automobile payments, you have back bills, you have medical bills. You are way below zero. In fact, there came a time in my adult life where I didn't want to be a millionaire. I just wanted to be a zero-nare. Zero zero-nare. Well, here's where he is now. See, he was in huge debt. Now he's a zero-nare. He, has, he, has, he doesn't have 
much of anything, but yet he's not have the big debt on him anymore. And this won't work. He was uh, broke. He, now that he is broke even, now he wants to get ahead. So he finds a co-worker. He finds someone who owes him money. Now, the Bible says that he owed him a hundred pence. That's about uh, the closest they can figure. It's about a three-month salary uh, for a laborer. This is a drop in the ocean compared to what debt he had just been forgiven. But now the tables have turned. Surely he will forgive this pittance because he has just been forgiven so much. But I know the Bible says he took him by the throat. This is the first time you see a Baptist in the Bible. He took him by the throat and he demanded payment. Then this friend of his said the exact words that he said. Look what the Bible says. Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. But the man who received mercy shows no mercy. The man who had had so much forgiven him, uh, this cry for mercy has no makes no impression on his black heart. And so he casts him into prison. Then presumably he goes home to tell his family about the wonderful news that he no longer has this debt hanging over his head. If you're a man in here and your hands have instinctively went into fists, I get it. This is despicable, horrible behavior. What an ungrateful wretch this person was. A man has a, there's a German word for this. I, I don't know an English equivalent, but Bach Pfeifengeschat. It means a face that invites a slap. That's what this man had right here. This is ugly. It's cruel. It's unfair. It's harsh. This is a picture of unforgiveness. The unforgiveness was unfitting. He had forgiven, he had been forgiven, but he would not forgive. Unforgiveness chains us to the past, poisons the present, and keeps us from what God has for us in the future. The unforgiveness was unkind. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Unforgiveness is cruel to people. Unforgiveness was unreasonable. Uh, the debtor begged for mercy. He promised to pay, but the, un, uh, the forgiven one would be unreasonable with the one that needed forgiveness. The unforgiveness was unrealistic. He said, cast him into prison until he should pay his debt. Now, that makes no sense. A guy in prison can't work. A guy in prison can't earn money. This was before they made license plates. They, he, couldn't, he couldn't make anything for himself. And so it was just punishment. It was just vindictiveness. It was unrealistic. It was unproductive. That's what unforgiveness is. There was one problem with his actions, though. Security cameras. They caught the whole thing. Somebody or somebodies saw the whole thing. Now, they are absolutely disgusted because they had experienced or witnessed or heard of the tremendous mercy the king had on him, and now they see him slam somebody up against the wall and demand a, a pocket change compared to what he had been forgiven. They're disgusted with it. So they run to the king and tell him what happened. The king had him arrested at once, verse 32 and 33 uh, talks here, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not have compassion on thy fellow servant? He called him wicked. Uh, panaros is the original word. It refers to human depravity and a wicked working of our evil nature. The behavior of the unforgiving man revealed a wicked heart within. He was forced now to face the consequences of his wickedness. The man had no defense. This time his case was absolutely hopeless. The new sentence that he got was far worse than the one that had been withdrawn before. 
before it was just indentured service. Now he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. Understand, the man did not get that punishment because of his $10,000 talent debt. He got that punishment because of his treatment, uh, wicked behavior towards a fellow servant. But his punishment was made in proportion to what he had once owed. Because of his new sin, he had to pay the equivalent of his former debt. Because mercy has now been replaced with wrath. All right, let's make application. Jesus is showing us in this story how serious it is to have an unforgiving spirit. Verse 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father also do unto you, if from your hearts you forgive not every brother is their trespass. Peter had asked, Jesus, how often do I have forgive? Uh, do I have to forgive? In fact, Jesus, I'm so holy, I'm such a good guy, I'm willing to forgive seven times. Yea, for Peter. Jesus, in effect, said to him, and he says to us, there's no cap on forgiveness. You must go on forgiving, and go on forgiving, and go on forgiving, because this is how the Heavenly Father forgives. We have accumulated an immeasurable debt. Uh, we are sinners. We owe a great debt to God because of our sins. If you look at the, the Bible, uh, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's not really, it could be better called the model prayer. That's what I like to refer to it as, or the disciples' prayer, because uh, it, the, they ask the Lord to give model for them to pray. And so he gives this prayer in the different Gospels. And in Matthew 6, 9, uh, verse 9, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. All right, moving into Luke, same setting, same prayer, minor difference in the wording. He says this, our Father which art in heaven, this is in Luke 11 too, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. We are debtors because of our sins. It's clear that our sin creates for us a debt, and it is a debt that we absolutely cannot pay on our own. It is a 10,000 talent debt. It's one that we will never be able to reach because we're like that unforgiving servant. We stand before Almighty God with our sins piled up like a mountain. The mountain is so tall we cannot get over it. It is so deep we cannot go under it. It is so wide we cannot go around it. There's nothing we can do with this immense debt that we owe. It is like a 10,000 talent debt that we could not owe or pay in a hundred lifetimes. And like the debtor, just like the debtor did, we approach God in accordance to the law. Give me more time, he had said. We'll say things like, I'll do better. I'll try harder. I'll change my life. I'll go to church more. I'll do this more. I'll read my Bible more. I'll give more money. But there must come a time in our life that we fully realize that there's absolutely nothing I can offer to repay this debt. We come as debtors to God with empty hands and simply say, I cannot pay. And God, who is rich in mercy, says there's another way. You see, Jesus paid the debt. Colossians 2.14, blotting out that handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Those words, handwriting of ordinances, simply means recording of a record of debt. He took that 
debt that we had. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He puts it on His own shoulders. Then the Bible says He nailed it to the cross. He paid that debt for us. Oh, we rejoice in it. We accept that gift of salvation. We accept that payment on our debt. Then we get up from the altar. And we go outside the church. And we're humming, Jesus paid it all. Until we meet someone who's done us wrong. We want to grasp them, him or her, by the throat, make them pay after what Jesus has done for us. That's the point he's making here. No wonder we're tormented. No wonder we're bitter and angry. No wonder we have problems. Unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a cell, a jail cell of bitterness, serving time for someone else else's crime, that is. We must learn the secret of unlimited forgiveness. Shame on us if we cannot forgive. Now, I suspect the whole story would be different if this would have happened in eye of the king. What if that second servant would have come to the first servant and the king is standing right there and watching the situation, or he's in the group, and that second servant, well, the first servant, because the king's right there and what he had just done, the first servant would say, oh, give you He thought that he was unobserved. The king wasn't nearby. The Bible says that he heard about it, verse 31. But listen, as Christians, we'd be wise to remember that we serve a God who is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere. And He, the one who has forgiven us is always nearby. And he watches and he waits. Every time we are called to forgive, listen, this is a game changer for us if we realize this and recognize this, that every time we have the opportunity to forgive someone and we don't, we have a Savior who has forgiven us of everything, who's watching us, who's beholding us. If we insist on holding a grudge or or hanging on to bitterness, we are grieving the Savior who has forgiven us of so much. He stands by and sees us not forgive. That's why he says in Matthew 6, 15, but if you forgive not the trespasses of men, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's a serious, serious business there. If we don't forgive, neither can God forgive us. The reason that we forgive us, the reason that that we forgive others, the reason we must forgive others is because he's forgiven us of so much. Oh, and gratefulness of that. Let us forgive. Ephesians 4.32 And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The debt that the servant was asked to forgive was far less than what the king had already forgiven. It would do us well to remember all that God has forgiven us in our lives, especially when we get hesitant to forgive someone else. There is no possible way I can ever forgive you for more than what God has forgiven me for. There's no way. And so how can I not forgive you for what you do to me and vice versa? There's a little boy sitting on a park bench and he's squirming in obvious pain. A man walking by asked him what was wrong and the boy says, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. And he's stinging me. I said, well, my land son, why don't you get up? The boy says, I figure I'm hurting him more and he is hurting me. How many of us handle forgiveness like that boy? 
We endure pain. We endure misery because we think we're inflicting more pain and more misery on that other person. Can I just tell you today, get off the bench. Stand up. <laughs> Stop inflicting pain on yourself. If we retaliate against injustice out of anger and bitterness, even though we are justified in taking action or feel we are, we have acted unrighteously. God will not bless those efforts. James 1.20 For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Listen, it's a simple fact, folks. We see it all throughout Scripture. We read verses today. Forgiveness is not an option in our Christian life. Forgiveness is a command that God gives us. And we have a choice whether we're going to obey that command or not. How do we have revival? When husbands and wives on the brink of a failing marriage forgive one another. How do we have revival? When rebellious teenagers and frustrated parents forgive one another. How do we have revival? It comes when church members who have a hard time getting along just forgive one another. It comes when we give up our anger, let go of our bitterness, and we turn away from our resentment and forgive one another. What is needed really in our churches, in our personal lives, is a revival of forgiveness. <laughs> we have to examine ourselves. I have to do this all the time because sometimes I find that there's areas that I haven't forgiven someone for. It takes work. It takes, it, it's purposely done. It's something that you have to pay attention to in your life. And we have to have a forgiving spirit. So in conclusion, I'd like you to just take some inventory today in your own life. Is there someone you have wronged? Seek forgiveness. Is there someone who has wronged you? Forgive. Is there someone who has wronged you and repented and you have withheld forgiveness? Oh, friend, that's a place you don't want to be in your life. Don't let the poison of unforgiveness turn into the disease of bitterness. Grant forgiveness. We ought to be a forgiving people. God has forgiven us of so much. How can we not then forgive one another? Are you found faithful in forgiveness? I hope you are. I hope you don't have bitterness or things that you hold on to others. Listen, every single one of us, every single one of us will bear injustices. All of us do. People say things, I, I know it's, it's, it's impossible to believe that somebody might not like me, right? But people say things about me that are not true. People say things about you that are not true. People do things to hurt you. People talk behind your back. People do things that, uh, that, that really, really, and, and I'm not saying they're not justified. They are justified. People do things to hurt your feelings, and, and it's real. I'm not saying that it's not real. We better not hang on to that. We better learn to forgive. Wait, preacher, they don't even care. They haven't repented. Well, you, don't, you, you can continue to live in the jail cell of what they've done, paying for their crime, or you can forgive. We need to forgive. Whether they deserve it or not, maybe they don't. Forgive anyway. Will you forgive today? Is there something in your heart you need to let go of?